If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them this morning to John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture about a woman who was caught in adultery and the grace that uh, Jesus gave to her. It's amazing, uh, this text, sometimes your Bible will have a footnote that says some of the earliest manuscripts don't contain this uh, passage of Scripture. They call that, call that textual criticism. But uh, whether people, translations put in the Bible or, or not, officially, it uh, is a story that, that theologians widespread believe is something that Jesus probably did, and it certainly demonstrates the Spirit of Christ. So I think it's really a, a worthy story for us to look at in our series on the Jesus passages. Now today, I've entitled today's sermon, The Sweet Aroma of Grace. The Sweet Aroma of Grace. There's probably nothing more special than to have someone demonstrate uh, a touch of forgiveness, uh, a kind word when you don't deserve it, but to demonstrate grace to you in a special way. You know, we ask ourselves, where does grace come from? Well, uh, it, Today, I would like to think in terms of grace uh, coming from truth. In fact, my thesis for the day is that grace is the fragrance of truth, that you really can't have grace apart from having truth. Just as the origin of, a, uh, of, a, of an aroma has to come from some place. If you stop, my uh, neighbor is from Texas, and so by her mailbox she has some roses. Can you guess what color her roses might be? Huh? They're the yellow roses, uh, rose of Texas. She has them there. And the other morning, Susan and I were out for a walk, and I stopped to try to smell the fragrance of her rose, and that smell can only come from a rose. This morning, uh, in our garden, we picked some gardenias, and, and I'm going to show you some of those gardenias to you in a minute, but I'll tell you, when you see the gardenias, uh, you know that it's got an aroma, and that aroma has a source, and that source is that flower. And grace is a fragrance. Grace is not something you can touch. It's not something that you can see. But grace has a source, and that source of grace comes from truth. And this morning, I'd like for us to take a glance at what grace smells like. What is the fragrance that grace can give to us and to our lives? To do that, I've asked Susie to help me and to demonstrate an illustration for us. We, uh, we had, she met a very interesting lady named Annette this week, and she goes down to a clinic. What is this clinic where you go, sweetheart? Well, our church has been very, very blessed with the opportunity to work at the Empower Clinic on Avondale. It's a free clinic for the poor, and thanks to Clee Rogers' heart for the poor, he has opened up this opportunity for us to share the love of Jesus. This clinic is for um, any poor person who can't afford medical help. And so people come to us from rehab. Many of them are people just out of John chapter 8, um, not only caught in adultery, but they have been have all kinds of addictions. And so they come to us on a regular basis. We also have poor people um, who can't afford um, insurance or doctors who come. And then we also have homeless people who come, people who have no ID, people who it's hard to help because they have 
no way to identify who they are. And so God, in his wonderful grace through Clee, like I said, has opened up this opportunity for us as a church to be able to um, help these people. And we are called social workers, and what our primary responsibility is is to help these people find a primary care physician because our clinic, because it's free, can only help them for three times. Otherwise, we would have so many patients we could never deal with them all. So we can help them three times, but then we try to get them into some kind of affordable, permanent health care. And Jefferson County has wonderful health care available to people like this, so we help them with that. But fortunately, also, because this clinic is sponsored by Empower Ministries, it's, uh, it's staffed on the night that we go by UAB, physicians and um, medical students. But it's a faith-based clinic in itself. And so because of that, we have the wonderful opportunity to share the fragrance of grace with these people. And so we're able to share with them the love of Jesus and to pray with them after we tell them how we can, how they can get health care. So I always use, I usually use the line, we are a faith-based clinic, and not only are we interested in your physical health, but we're also interested in your spiritual health. And so with that, I always take one of these little tracks by Billy Graham, Steps to Peace with God, and I ask them if they've heard of Billy Graham. They nearly always say yes, and then I'm able to share with them the gospel. So it's just a wonderful opportunity, and there are spots available for you if you would like to help. It's amazing. Like Susie said, you never know who's going to show up. You'll see people right out of jail because they come from the Love Lady Center, uh, the Jimmy Hill Mission. They're struggling with addictions. Uh, people right up the street. One night we had a, a, a mother and her son show up, and uh, she was a waitress, had red eye, went to work that day. They sent her home, said, you can't work till you get that red eye fixed. She had no place to go, and somehow she found out about the clinic and asked her where she lived. She said she and her son live in a car. And it just, uh, it's amazing, the people that you meet. But there's one special person that Susie met this week. Her name was Annette. Listen to Annette's story. When Annette came in, uh, she was an African-American lady, and uh, she was one of the poor uh, who has no job, no employment, no doctor, no insurance. And so I told her how she could get a, a primary care physician. And then, I, of course, I gave her the little tract, and I explained the gospel to her and uh, how, she, how she could know for sure that she had her sins forgiven. And, of course, I always explained to them, you can't be good enough, and I can't be good enough to get there. We can only get there through Jesus. Christ, the Son of God, who died for us so that we, our sins could be forgiven so that we could go to heaven. And I always tell them, I'm going to heaven, and I want everybody that I know to go there with me, and I want you to go there with me. And she just looked at me, and, and, and she started to have tears in her eyes. And I said, Annette, have you ever done that? And she said, no. And I said, Annette, would you like to do that tonight? And she said, yes, she would. And so I explained the gospel to her again. And then after that, 
I, um, I said, Annette, I'm going to pray, and you can pray with me if you'd like. And she prayed the words right after me and asked the Lord to forgive her sin. And these are, like I say, these are people, so many of them, they're these John 8 people. They're people who have a past, and this story of forgiveness to them is an amazing story. And so she prayed that prayer, and, and she asked the Lord to forgive her. And then when she finished, she just had tears streaming down her face. And I said, Annette, I'm so glad you've done this because you know what? You're a child of God now, and I'm a child of God. And that means we're sisters. And so I wrote down my name and phone number on the back of this little tract. I asked her about a church. I, I told her about our church. I told her about Go Ye Church. I told her we'd help her find a church over in her neighborhood. And, of course, it has our uh, address on the back of this. And so... Uh, I just gave her a big hug as she walked out. And it was just so refreshing to me to know that I was able to share with the love of Jesus with her. And God brought her in already prepared, ready. Her heart was ready to receive him. How did you feel after that encounter? You know, every week when I leave the clinic on Wednesday night, I come home absolutely pumped. I'm with people, like Ron said, some of them are right out of jail when you ask them where, where they, you know, they have to have this ID to get the help. And, of course, some of them say, oh, yeah, I have some prison ID. Oh, how long have you been out of prison? Two days. And they're sitting right in front of you. You're in this tiny little room together. And it is such a wonderful privilege to be able to share the love of Jesus with them. It just, to me, it's just an overwhelming feeling that God has chosen to use us to show love to people who need him so much. And so every time I leave, I'm just, I just go home just so excited that God has used me, that he has just let me show his love to people who may not have had his love shown to them. So it's just wonderful to be able to share this fragrance of grace in their lives. I was reading this morning in uh, My Utmost for His Highest, and it said that Jesus had the absolute faith that the grace of God could change any person. And that's the, the wonderful fragrance of grace with these people, that God can change any person. And he uses people like us to do it. All right. Well, thank you. That's great. Well, there's the sermon. <laughs> Thank you, Susie. As you heard that story, what's the fragrance of grace? How would you describe, how did you feel? What was the fragrance of grace that touched you as you heard about Annette? Hmm? Can you give me some words that came to mind or feelings as you heard the fragrance of grace in Annette's story? Hmm? Okay, forgiveness. Forgiveness. She experienced forgiveness. Forgiveness was given to her. Okay, someone cared about her. Someone went out of their way, changed their schedule, sacrificed their time to show grace to her. Okay, what else? Love. Okay, love and passion, it comes through, doesn't it? And she was waiting for someone to love her. Okay, who said word? Hope. Hope. All right, this dear woman probably had very little hope in her lives, did, in her life, didn't she? And this provided wonderful hope for her. Transforming power. I'm sorry, John. Transforming power. Transforming power. That's right. And the power, the transforming power that John just described is not in us, but it's in the message, isn't it? It's in the truth. 
And this little pamphlet that Susie used by Billy Graham, really, if you open it, is full of Bible verses, right? And the Bible is the truth, right? And that is what used to transform this dear woman's life. And my friends, my thesis today is very simply this, is that grace is simply the fragrance of truth. You can't see grace, but you can see truth. You can't fully understand grace, but you can read the truth. And the better we know the truth, the better we live the truth, the better we bring truth into relationships and into our person, the more the fragrance of grace will be seen in how we live, and it will impact people that we want to see changed. Let's look at the story of this dear woman in John chapter 8. If I look at this, this woman, I see two, two ways to approach truth. The first is truth without grace, and then secondly, truth with grace. And let's look first negatively at what truth looks like when there's no grace involved. This is characterized by the Pharisees and their approach. And look at the passages I read. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down like a typical rabbi and began to teach them. The teachers of the law... Now, he's, he's, he's come, he's not officially one of the teachers of the law, but the official teachers of the law, uh, the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. I mean, imagine this poor woman being made to stand in front of the group of people that Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with her there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, there's a strong contrast between the two groups, between Jesus, who gives grace, and the Pharisees, who did not give grace. As I look at the Pharisees, I ask myself, what does it look like to have truth but not to have grace? What does truth look like without grace? I think, first of all, I see that these dear Pharisees, they knew the truth in the sense that they knew the law of Moses, but they did not know people. They did not know ministry to people. They did not use their truth to bless other folks. If you look at the story, it's interesting, the contrast. Jesus, who is not one of the official teachers, is sitting down. He gets up early in the morning. He goes to the temple courts, and he is sitting down, and he is teaching the masses. But the teachers of the law, and the text calls them the, the official teachers of the law, what are they doing? They're out looking around, <laughs> finding this woman caught in adultery. They didn't find the man. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but they did find the woman, and they bring her to the temple courts. And is their purpose in doing this to bless other people with their knowledge of the Scriptures? Hmm? 
I mean, was it used to bless Jesus? No, the text says they're trying to trap Jesus. They're interrupting Jesus. Is it used to bless the crowd of people that Jesus is teaching? No, it interrupts the process. It diverts them from what Christ is saying from God to what they have to say. Does it bless this woman? You know, is it ministering to this dear woman? Of course not. I mean, she is publicly embarrassed. She's exposed. Possibly she could have been a woman for hire, a prostitute. We don't know for sure. But here she is standing up in front of this crowd being exposed for the sin that she committed. Whom are they ministering to? They are using the truth only to minister to themselves. Because Jesus is winning. The crowds are chasing Jesus. He's, you know, they're following him. And they want to be competitive with Jesus to demonstrate to the world that they are better. And so they get a trap set where Jesus has to disagree with the great man Moses. And if he gives grace, this woman forgives her. They disagrees with Moses. And yet they weren't commonly stoning people. And if he says, go ahead and stone her, then Jesus is seen as a very hard-hearted person. You know, my friends, it's very easy to fall into the trap of the Pharisees to have knowledge, but have knowledge that's separated from grace, not to have grace. And I think the curse of our generation is that we get so much knowledge of the Bible that it doesn't result in grace, in ministry given to other people. Early in my career, I was fresh out of seminary and We had studied heavy things like the doctrine of election. You know, how God before the create, you know, before the foundations of the world, you know, chose some people to become Christians. Romans 8, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And I thought, well, I'll teach that doctrine to my Sunday school class. (laughs) I caused more confusion, more chaos, more animosity, more hurt in that Sunday school class than I have ever done before in teaching the scriptures. And I walked away and I said, what happened in that situation? Is one is I tried to be an expert in stuff that no one really can be an expert at, (laughs) right? And two, it was teaching, it was truth without grace. I wasn't there to minister to people to help them move the yardsticks in their spiritual life. I was probably there to tell them how much of the Bible that I thought I understood. My friends, that is truth without grace. Whenever we use truth for any purpose other than ministering and helping other people. The second thing I see in the Pharisee's life that truth without grace is characterized by is that they only saw the violations of other people. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, they, they say, Teacher, she's caught in the very act of adultery. Okay? And the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone her. Now, I asked myself, who else was involved in this violation? Not just the woman. And if you're going to have adultery, doesn't it take two people to have an adulterous relationship, right? So where is the man? Okay, where's the man in that situation? So obviously, he's gotten off scot-free. And thirdly is, how did they know? (laughs) Were the Pharisees being private investigators with peeping toms? Were they watching behind a curtain? Did they set this thing up? Did they arrange it so this woman is caught? Like here, the only sin they want to talk about is the sin of that woman. They don't want to talk about the sin of their friend, the man. And they don't want to talk about their sin of being complicit in this trap to embarrass and to garnish support away from Jesus. 
I don't know about you, but I've discovered <laughs> in me that it's so easy the more I read the Bible to see your sins and not my sins. Hmm? Isn't that something? Well, I can talk about that woman until I'm blue in the face, but not talk about me, the man. <laughs> you follow me? Or talk about me, the religious leader. And there's something uh, comforting about being uh, having knowledge that that knowledge all applies to the rest of the world. But when the Bible talks about gossip, they're not supposed to gossip about me, but I can gossip about them. I can criticize the way they raise their family, but they can't raise the way I use my family. <laughs> you follow me? And I can criticize the way they use their funds, but they can't touch how I use my funds. And my friends, the curse upon us is when, as Jesus says, we have the enormous ability to see that speck in another person's eye, but we can't see that protruding plank of wood that's coming out of our own. And truth without grace sees specks without acknowledging our own plank. And these Pharisees were very guilty, but they pinned it all on this woman. The third characteristic I see of these Pharisees is they, they hurt others to defend themselves. Is that here they make this woman stand in the midst of the temple courts and they publicly use her and they embarrass her. Is it because they're overwhelmed by her sin? <laughs> they probably thought the sin was a little bit okay because they made it happen. They made this sin happen. But I think what they wanted to do is to use this woman and her sin, her occupation, to justify themselves, to defend themselves in front of other people, and especially here in front of Jesus. I can only imagine how that woman felt, betrayed, hurt, knowing she was set up, even though she was probably guilty, just because these people wanted to justify themselves. And my friends, I think one of the grand sins of truth is that we use truth to hurt other people. We use truth to hurt other people. We express an opinion that sounds biblical. We express an opinion that sounds Christian. We express an opinion or an attitude that sounds like it's God-honoring. But our real intent is to stick it to another person. You know, my friends, I think we've all been done. We've all had this happen to us. And we've all seen people with a holier-than-thou attitude. And we can justify any sin we have based upon Scripture. But in reality, the intent of the heart is wrong. Maybe that's why Jesus looks at this and recognizes for it for what it really is. And maybe that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love, what does what? It builds up. So if we have knowledge without grace, we are only having a rancid smell instead of the aroma of God's truth. One day, Susie and I, uh, when we were young, someone gave us a little chest freezer, and then someone else gave us a bunch of fish that they had caught, frozen in ice, and and uh, we stored it in their freezer thinking we'd have a fresh fish fry one day. And we went on away for a weekend or a trip, I forget what, and a repairman came in, and he was going to fix something, and so he unplugged the freezer to put to insert his skill saw. And when he got done with his job, he forgot to plug the freezer back in. 
And we got back and thought, hmm, there's a little aroma <laughs> in our house. <laughs> and finally, our nose took us in the direction of this little chest freezer. We opened it up, and oh, my goodness, it was rancid. It was terrible. It was the worst thing I've ever smelled in my life. We cleaned that thing with Clorox. We did everything. Finally, a good old country boy said, put it out in the sunshine. The sunshine can cleanse a lot of stuff. We put it on the cleanse in the sunshine, and the sun took that smell away. Most of it, 99% of it away. But you know, I think there's nothing wrong with having a freezer. There's nothing wrong with having fish in the freezer. But you know, if you don't do it properly, the smell is rancid instead of enjoyable. And truth is something that is good that God has given to us. And my friends, if we don't use truth properly... If we use it without grace, it is only something that is raunchy. Well, I ask myself, if that's what truth is like without grace, what could truth be like with grace? Ooh, 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 ooh. What could be the sweet aroma of grace? Now, I hope no one's allergic to gardenias. Is anyone allergic to gardenias? Hmm? You are? Okay, well, don't let Dorothy touch these gardenias. All right. What I want to do is, as we look at truth with grace, I want you to pass the gardenias through your side of the, of the sanctuary there, okay? And I want you to smell it, and then pass it to the next person. When it gets to the back, I want you to send it back to the front, through the aisles. And then as it gets to the front, you send it back to the back. Let's keep the aroma going through the room as we look at what uh, truth looks like the way it was meant to be with grace. Get the aroma, the fragrance in it. And obviously, the illustration for this is not the Pharisees, but rather it's Jesus. And look with me in verse 10. Jesus has bent down. He's written something in the sand. What has he written in the sand? We don't know. Some people speculate he maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Other people think maybe he listed the sins of the Pharisees, and so they see their sins, and so they walk away. Because Jesus says if you're without sin, you know, you cast the first stone. That statement in itself was a wonderful act of grace. But as I look at Jesus, I ask myself, what does truth look like with grace? Well, first of all, he acknowledged the truth. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he turns to the woman, and he straightened up, and he said to her, Woman, where are they? In other words, they've all gone. Has no one condemned you? I think it's very clear from the passage that Jesus is assuming this woman is guilty. You know, she has done something wrong. Even though she's been framed, even though she's been tricked and trapped, I mean, she has done something that is wrong. And so Jesus turns and says, Has no one condemned you? Now, condemnation flows from truth. Why? Because when there are consequences that follow truth, there's a right and there's wrong. If there were no consequences from truth, then Jesus would not have to go to the cross, would he? There would be no such thing as a heaven and a hell if there were no consequences to truth. If God had no standards and there were no consequences to truth, uh, then Jesus could have just said, okay, everybody's, everybody's forgiven, no cross. But the consequences were such that Jesus had to go to the cross to pay the penalty. So as we, as we sang this morning, those who believe will be forgiven. And we have to acknowledge our condemnation by believing. 
And my friends, truth brings condemnation because truth demonstrates that there's a God in heaven and there's a right or wrong that he has given. Now, this woman is facing her condemnation. Now, I'm not so sure she woke up that morning and thought, I'm going to go to the temple courts and be exposed. (laughs) But in the process of having these people expose her and trap her in this situation, she's publicly being exposed before Jesus and the temple crowd. And I think maybe a little voice inside of her was saying, I'm sort of glad this is happening because it's time for this to be over. You follow me? And this acknowledgement of her guilt and what has happened to her is coming true. And my friends, the woman here, in a sense, has had to go public. And in a sense, it's an acknowledgement that, yes, I am a sinner, that, yes, I have transgressed the truth. And what this whole episode does at the hands of Jesus is to allow this to move forward in such a way that this experienced woman sees the truth, she experiences grace, and eventually is able to walk away a different person with a second chance. Now, does Jesus just say, oh, go ahead, I love you, I forgive you, go away? No. He talks about condemnation because there are consequences to what she has done. And my friends, I think we need to understand that truth has consequences and that we can easily develop a false view of love. Have you ever been to jail to visit some not to be in jail, but to visit someone in jail? In my, when I, we were in Canada, I went to the prison three times to visit people either in our church or associated with our church. We were not a church of criminals, but it just so happens that we had uh, three situations where I visited people. On two of those occasions, I was immediately hugged by the person who normally wouldn't hug me <laughs> because they were so glad to see a friendly face in the prison. And as they were hugging me, I thought to myself, what would the people think that brought the charges against them to put them in prison? They'd say, Janet, why are you hugging that person? Don't you know what they did to me? I mean, don't you know the crime they've committed? I mean, can you imagine the pain that our family feels because of what this person has, has done? Can't you see that justice is being accomplished in the life of this person? You follow me? And, and when I hug that person and I can love that person, I ask myself, am I slapping the face of the other person, the other family that's been offended by what this person has done? And so if I turn to that person and I say, I love you unconditionally, and I accept you just as you are, I ask myself, is that really love? Or is love like this, I love you, and I will help you bring reconciliation to that other family so that the truth is on the table for you, but the truth is on the table from, for them, and then grace can come forward. Because if I love them, am I really loving the people they've hurt? How can I love them equally? And the only way I can love them in a way that is not selective is to get the truth on the table so that everyone knows. That's why the book of Philemon is a wonderful story in the New Testament where the apostle Paul meets Onesimus. We don't know for sure the story, but Onesimus could have been a runaway slave, ends up in Rome. He has stolen stuff. He meets the apostle Paul. He's wonderfully saved and transformed. And... Paul says, where'd you come from? He says, the household of Philemon. He says, I know Philemon. (laughs) He's in Colossae. He says, I'm going to write a letter about you and send you back to make amends with that dear man, uh, Philemon. And can you imagine Onesimus, a runaway slave who had stolen from Philemon, walking up with a letter in his hand as he walked up to the gates of the house of 
of, of Philemon. He, he knocks on the door, fear and trembling in his soul, and a servant comes to the door and says, Onesimus, what gall you have to come back after what you have done. He says, just, just get Philemon. And when Philemon comes, he looks at him with a cold stare like, Onesimus, you've come back. And the only thing he could do probably was to send, to thrust that letter from the Apostle Paul in his hands. And what did the letter say? He said, the one that was useless now has become useful. The one has, it's a play on the name of Onesimus. The one who was of no profit now is profitable to you. And that letter details the fact that this man has offended you and here's the sin he has committed. And if he has robbed you, I will pay you back. But he is here face to face to acknowledge what he has done. But as he acknowledges it, there's an element of grace that he gives to the one who admits what he has done. And my friends, isn't that what salvation is like? We go to heaven not because we're better than anybody else. We go to heaven because we recognize that there's a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And as Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But not all those people there went to heaven. Only those who acknowledged their condemnation, acknowledged their guilt, and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ became saved. And my friends, if we will believe, we will be saved. If we acknowledge our condemnation before God, that we have transgressed the very person and truth of who God is with our sinfulness like this woman, if we will acknowledge it, then God is gracious to forgive us because of what Jesus Christ has done in paying the price for us. My friends, there is no such thing as grace apart from truth. Apart from truth. Because grace is simply the aroma that flows from acknowledging that I have failed, that I have sinned, and there's a God in heaven who will love me. One of my daughters one time, I forget the issue, but I just asked her a question before I went to work that morning, and she gave me an answer, and evidently the answer was a lie. And I got home that afternoon from work, and there was this little girl standing at the back door, in Canada, they called it a mudroom. And as I came in to take off my shoes and boots and my uh, overcoat and to walk in the door, she was crying, Daddy, 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 I'm so sorry. I lied to you this morning, and I can hardly wait to apologize and tell you that I lied. <laughs> and what did that confession get out of Dad? Huh? It got a hug. And it got, Caroline, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I forgive you. You follow me? And the lack of truth made her feel ungrace all day. But once she got the truth on the table, it just released the fragrance of grace. My friends, there's a situation in your life where the truth has been slid under the table, where it's been ignored. A relationship is broken because no one's willing to talk about it. But my friends, if you get the truth out there, the truth will make way for grace. I think the second thing I see in Jesus is that after he helped her acknowledge who she was and the condemnation issue was dealt with, he makes room for grace. He turns to her and says, where are they? <laughs> he says, lady, neither do I condemn thee. Neither do I condemn thee. 
You know, the response of God to confession is always grace. When God, when we acknowledge truth and our failure to, to live up to the truth, the response that God always gives is that it's a new day and he shows grace to us. Oh, you know, that's why I love First John chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My understanding of that verse is, is it's for believers. And that when I confess my sin, I had a stern word to Susie. I didn't respond correctly to my wife or to my child. And when I say, God, I, I shouldn't have done that. When I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive that sin. But then to what? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. What about the time I spoke about Joe? <laughs> or I hurt David's feelings, right? You follow me? You see, and I don't even remember doing that. But when I say, God, I want to acknowledge the truth in my life, that I have failed against you. He is so gracious. He forgives me of all of my sin. Grace exudes out of God. Why? Because God is the very essence of truth. And the more truth we have, the more truth we articulate, the more truth we bring into our relationships, into our being, the more the fragrance of grace will be released in us and in others. That's why, my friends, when I see other people uh, of sinning and hurting me, I should look at them and say, oh, by the grace of God, <laughs> go I. <laughs> you follow me? I have the potential in my human heart and my human nature to do that very same thing that I see that person. And let them be a mirror to you of how God's grace has forgiven you and been kind to you. I had a dear man come see me one time. He'd just gotten caught in adultery himself. And his the girl he was having an affair with, he felt bad about it, so he broke it off. She said, I'm going to call your wife. And so she called the wife and said, guess who I am? And that unleashed a big family problem. When he came to see me, I said, is this the first time you've done this? And he says, no, it's not. Does your wife know it's not the first time you've done this with another woman? And he says, no, I've got a history of it. Well, how do you reconcile this kind of marriage? It's a very tough situation. And so when she sat in my office and we were alone and she said, what should I do? Should I take him back or should I end this relationship and move on? I turned to her and I said, you know, if you forgive him, you know, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a what? Gift of God. <laughs> grace is a gift. And if you forgive him, you're giving him a gift. Unfortunately, that marriage never made it. That marriage never made it. Eventually, he did it again because he didn't know how to receive that gift of grace that that dear woman gave to him. My friends, sometimes you'll give grace to people, and they will burn you in return. They did Jesus. But if you live a life of truth, the natural fragrance is to give grace to that person. And then the third thing I like about this in the life of Christ is that he granted this dear woman a second chance. The second chance is conditional, though. He says, go there in verse 11 and do what? Leave your life of sin. <laughs> Leave your life of sin. Like you've been doing, you've been living a life of untruth, of adultery. You've transgressed the very laws of God. 
Now I want you to live a life of obedience to God and who He is. And my friends, God gives us a second chance. But He only gives us a second chance if we acknowledge truth. And we say, from this day on, I'm going to leave the temple courts and I'm going to obey the word of the Lord and do what He says. And when we do that, the second chance comes our way. The biggest problem we have in our relationships is we slip untruths under the table. We ignore things that have happened. And we act as if, well, I never did that or he never did that. And yet the relationship can never be the same without truth. You can never have a, a true the relationship that God wants without truth. And my friends, whether it be at work or at home, if there's transgression, put the truth on the table. And you get the truth on the table. That is the vehicle by which God allows the fragrance to come. Years ago, my dear father went through a situation. You know how you're raising your kids and everybody has opinions on how you should raise your kids and the decisions you should make. And one of his dear friends took him to lunch or coffee and said some critical things about the way he was raising us as kids. And you see the fruit. <laughs> You know, I don't know what my dad said to that dear man. I have no idea what, he, what, what my dad said to that man. But I do know this, that when my dad died and we buried him out here in Shelby County, and we'd had the graveside service and we were walking away to come to the church for a lunch and then the memorial service. I looked under the tent and this dear man was sitting alone with my dad's casket. even though what that man had said to him hurt him to the core. Grace always says there's a second chance. You see the difference between truth without grace and truth with grace? Hmm? We've experienced truth without grace. But what would the world look like if we were to take the words of Jesus and experience and let them see truth that has grace that only comes from Jesus Christ. That's why I say the grace is what? The fragrance of truth. Because there's only one place you can get real grace. And that real grace only comes from knowing and obeying and living the truth of God. Today, maybe as we've been going through this passage, there's a person that's come to mind. Maybe a relationship maybe an attitude, where you've loved them in an unbiblical way. You've loved them by not dealing with the truth. That's not biblical love. Biblical love says, let's talk about the truth. The truth will set us free, and the truth will allow the grace of God to be seen. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is in John chapter 12, where Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Mary and Martha providing a great meal in honor of Jesus and Lazarus who is sitting at the table. And Mary is just so overwhelmed by seeing her brother Lazarus is alive and Jesus is sitting at the table and he has made all this possible. That she goes to the closet and she gets an alabaster jar out of perfume that's worth a year's wages. And she breaks it open and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And she bends over and with her hair she wipes it on his legs 
And the Bible says the whole house was full of the aroma of the fragrance of the perfume. My friends, there was a day she doubted. There was a day in which she fretted because she forgot about God's wonderful truth. But yet when she saw that Jesus Christ is truth and what his truth can do in her family and in her life and in raising even the dead, she bowed in humility. And in her humility, that fragrance brought Judas, the Pharisees, and others to a realization of really who Jesus Christ is. My friends, what about you? Do you believe in truth? Yes, you do. But it's not really God's truth unless it's accompanied by the aroma of grace that blesses others. Oh, may God use this dear woman who is a prostitute to teach us who are righteous how to live for him today. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow in your presence, confessing our sins of being more like the Pharisees at times than the illustration of Jesus. Lord, it's so easy to see the truth and to know the truth and to master the truth, but to fail to allow that truth to demonstrate the wonderful aroma of God's grace that brings sweetness to the lives of other people. Oh, Father, teach us to look at people as you see them. Teach us to have the discipline as Christ did, to put the truth on the table, to help people see the truth, acknowledge the truth, and walk away with a new life because the truth will only set us free. Father, take the words of your of the Lord today and apply them to each one of our hearts, to our own home situations. And Lord, I pray that the truth might saturate us in such a way that the aroma of God's grace is, is enjoyed by people who have never known you. Father, teach us your word because your word is truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing together.
with it. And isn't it marvelous, the, the wonderful grace that God has given to us? And it's uh, that marvelous gift we can give to other people in a very fresh way. I think that's a lesson all of us can enjoy today. See that picture on the screen? Anyone know where that is? Hmm? Yeah, we're in Canada. I, yeah. Who said Lake Louise? Jay David did. Uh, J- John. Okay, John used to live in Canada. I think that's Lake Louise. It's a glacier lake, and uh, we'll be uh, going by there this summer when we see our kids. And I thought that was great to see that today. That's a beautiful, beautiful spot. What's that? It's in Alberta. It's in Alberta. In the Ro- it's, those are the Rocky Mountains you're, you're looking at there. Beautiful. That water is freezing cold. <laughs> What does grace look like? Don't rush off today. We have some refreshments, so you can't rush off. You got to stay and, and smell the aroma of grace in our congregation, okay? But what does grace smell like? Maybe like this. Go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Share the gospel. Love and serve our Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.